Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Where did we come from? Like, how did we get here? That's a really big question. Have you ever asked yourself that? How did we get here? Where did we come from? This is a really big existential question. And then it keeps like philosophers, theologians, and kindergartners awake for a very long time. How did we get here? And, and where did we come from? But today, I'm not going to be talking about the cosmological argument, creation, evolution, Big Bang. And we're not going to be talking about GPS or navigation. Like, are you from Orange, Nederland, Lumberton? What direction did you take to get here on your Apple Maps? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about here, literally here. How did you get here? Redemption Church, 2020, 601 Park Street, downtown Beaumont. How How did we get here? Talking about the church, our history, our heritage, our lineage, our legacy. How did we get here? Where did all of this come from? How many of you, you're Christians? You love Jesus. You've repented of your sins, given your life to him. Okay, how did you you become a Christian? Inevitably, it was because somebody told you about Jesus, shared their faith with you, maybe prayed with you, invited you to church. How many of you love Redemption Church? Like, this is your church. Maybe you haven't gone through membership yet, but if somebody in Target were to ask you, where do you go to church? You would say, oh, I go to redemption. Okay, how did we get here? What is the history, the heritage, the lineage? What is the legacy of Redemption Church? Christianity actually started 2,000 years ago on the side of a mountain with 12 men that today we know as disciples. And these 12 men on the side of a mountain eventually became a movement of 3.5 billion people in the world today. It is the largest, greatest movement that the world has ever seen. Right now, in every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every denomination, people are gathered together worshiping Jesus Christ as their risen Lord, Savior, God, and King. Christianity, the church, very big deal. That the church is bigger than any other organization, Apple, Amazon, Walmart, McDonald's, bigger than all of those things. And for the last 2,000 years, the church has continued to grow and to move forward. It has outlived kings and queens and kingdoms and empires, trends, philosophies, ideologies, political systems, financial institutions. All of them have risen and fallen, come and gone, but the church of Jesus Christ still remains. And so where did it all come from? How did we get here? What I want to do today is I want us to go back to the mountain 2,000 years ago. It's the brand new year. A lot of us are looking forward. We're making resolutions. We have goals. We have dreams, things we want to accomplish and see for the year 2020. And everyone's looking forward. But might I submit to you that the best way forward is for us to actually go back, to go back to the beginning, to go back and see where did all this come from? How did all this get started? How many of you, you ask God for a word? God, give me a word for 2020. God, what is my word for 2020? What I discovered as I was praying is God said, you know, you want a word? You want a new word? Oftentimes people are asking for new words when we still haven't learned the old word yet. And so we're going to go back to the old word, the first word, to see where it all began. And it's this word right here, discipleship. 
The word disciple literally means follower. What does it mean for us to follow Christ? Because these 12 men, they did the unthinkable, the unimaginable, because they were willing to do only one thing, be disciples, to be followers of Jesus. And so for 2020, the big emphasis or goal for us is really this old word right here, discipleship. So what I wanna do today is I wanna learn 11 lessons from the 12 disciples. I wanna go back to the mountain And I want to see what was it that these disciples did? How did they live their lives? And how can we apply these lessons to our lives so that way we can continue to grow and become more like Jesus? If you're new to redemption, our favorite way to teach the Bible is going through entire books of the Bible. We call it expositional preaching. It's a core value that we have. And for the last two years, we've been studying the book of Mark. Next week, we're going to dive back into Mark chapter 10. But before we do that, I want to start here, go back to the beginning, because a lot of you are new, and I want to just introduce you to these 12 men who single-handedly changed the world because they were willing to follow Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13. We're going to learn 11 lessons from the 12 disciples. I'm going to read it all, and then we're going to break it down in the back end. And he, who's that? That's Jesus. He went up onto the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed the 12, those are the disciples, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12. Here's the list. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Okay, just pause right here. That is an awesome nickname. Like, Jesus is going to give you a nickname. It's going to be a cool nickname, sons of thunder. Right, when I read this, immediately, I go WWE. Right, I'm just thinking it's a tag team match. James and John off the top turnbuckle. It's a flying L drop. Boom. Oh yeah, brother, we're the sons of thunder. Like, <laughs> that's just how I read the Bible. It's not in your notes, but <sighs> I'll keep reading. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, bum, 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 who betrayed him. Here we see in Mark that most of Jesus' life and ministry was nothing more than just come and see. That's why the first words right here is he went up on the mountain and he called them and they came to him. All that is is come and see. Much of Jesus' ministry is really come and see. So in Mark chapter one, Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he is baptized by John the Baptist. The sky opens, the voice of the father, the spirit descends and everybody's amazed because Jesus is all about the come and see. Then immediately from the baptism, he goes into a synagogue and he preaches with authority and the religious leaders, they're like, who is this man who teaches with such authority? Come and see. And then he casts out a demon. People are like, whoa, that, I've never seen that. Come and see. Then he goes up to a couple of disciples who are James and John. He says, hey, come and see. He goes to a tax collector, Levi. He says, hey, come and see. They cut a hole in the ceiling, lay a paralytic man down. They say, hey, come and see. Mark chapter three, there is a, a leper who meets Jesus. He heals them. Come and see. Much of Jesus' ministry for the first 10 chapters of the gospel of Mark is nothing more than just come and see ministry. Feed 5,000 people. Walk 
walk on water, calm the storms, raise the dead from life. Like, it's all about come and see. Jesus is very popular. There are crowds of five, maybe 10, upwards of 25,000 people from all of Galilee and all of Judea who are flocking to, they want to come and see who is Jesus? What is Jesus going to do next? Who is this man? And Jesus' invitation to them and to us is nothing more to start off with as come and see. Redemption Church, we model a lot of our church after the come and see ministry of Jesus. We want people to come and see. That's why we have Sunday morning services, but we have three of them because not everybody can come and see at 1030. All right, some people can come and see at 9, come and see at 11. Some people work all day or sleep all day, and they wake up at the crack of dinner, and they can come and see at 530. But we want to make it easy for anyone to be able to come and see. This is the reason that we do expositional preaching, because I believe that people really want to know what the Bible says and not just what the pastor says. And so we just want to make it really easy for people to come and see. This is the reason that we have skilled and gifted musicians who practice, because when you do come and see, we also want you to be able to hear, because we want to have people to come and see. This is the reason we have children's ministry and soon to be a youth ministry, because we want everyone to be able to come and see. This is why we have parties and events where you can invite your friends because we want for you to be able to come and see. We want to make it as easy as possible for as many people as possible to what? Come and see. But Jesus' ministry didn't stop at come and see. It actually started with come and see. See, if those first disciples, if all they did was come and see, they'd still be on the mountain. But Christianity didn't stay on a mountain. It became a movement. Discipleship is not about staying on the mountain. Discipleship is about beginning a movement. And what Jesus is doing here as we break into Mark is that it's a transition from come and see to go and die. That's the transition that all of us in our discipleship must make. We need to make a move from come and see to go and die. Because starting in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is going to die. Jesus is transitioning towards Jerusalem where he's gonna be arrested, betrayed, crucified. He is going to die in our place for our sins, resurrecting from the grave and giving the great commission ascending to heaven. All right, Mark chapter 10 through Mark chapter 16 is nothing more than Jesus going to die. And the rest of this series is all about him preparing his disciples. The public ministry of Jesus is over. The private discipleship of his followers begins. He's transitioning them to go from come and see to go and die. A lot of us, we need to learn how to make this transition in our lives as well. The move from come and see to go and die. The move from casual Christianity to devoted discipleship. We need to make the move from spectators to participators, from consumers to contributors, from people who do nothing more than just come and see, but people who actually would live their lives for a reason, for a purpose greater than themselves, that they would make the move from come and see to go and die. There was a famous theologian, pastor, and author. His name is Diedrich Bonhoeffer, and here's what he writes in his seminal book, The Cost of Discipleship. He says, when Christ bids a man, he bids him to go and die. That is the call of discipleship, that we would give and live our lives for something bigger and greater than ourselves, that we would surrender our life to the lordship of Jesus, and we would do whatever it takes to follow after him. That is the call of discipleship. 
And some of you, you're in your come and see season. Praise the Lord for you. We're excited. We're happy to have you. Welcome. We're not going to kill you, I promise. You're in your come and see season. So all of this is new for you. The church is new for you. Reading the Bible is new for you. You know, walking in the doors is new for you. All of it's new for you, okay? We love you. Hey, we want you to be able to just come and see. Hang out, grab some coffee, make a friend, come and see. But I want you to know that come and see doesn't last forever. I just want you to get ready for that because there is gonna be a time where you have to make that transition from come and see to go and die. We're gonna ask you to do some things. We're going to ask you to take discipleship seriously. We're going to ask you to make the move eventually. Come and see doesn't last forever. A lot of you, some of you, you've been in your come and see season too long. Okay, your come and see season is over. Okay, we do love you. We really do. But we're going to start asking some things of you because we're going to take discipleship important. If you want to know 2020 for us, it's discipleship. We're going back to the beginning. We're going back to the future. We're going a new, new year with an old word, discipleship. Some of you, your come and see season is over. Your come and see season means it's time for you to go and die now. Join a group. Right, start serving, start tithing, 10% first and best to the Lord. Right, it's time for you to take your Bible off your bookshelf, dust it off, and start reading it. Time for you to start praying. Whatever it is, there is a next step for you to move from come and see to go and die. Because all of us, we need to move into discipleship. And that's what we're going to learn from these disciples today. The lessons that lived and governed and shaped and transformed them. 11 lessons from the 12 disciples. Okay, the first lesson that we learn is this. Pray first. See, Jesus does this. And he went up on the mountain. What's Jesus doing on the mountain? Right? He's, he's praying. He's taking time to get alone with God, and he's going to pray. He has to make a really big decision. He has to choose the 12 disciples, right? He doesn't choose 100 disciples. He doesn't choose two disciples. He has to choose 12 disciples. This is a really big decision that Jesus has to make. And so the first thing he does is get alone, make time, spend time with God in prayer. And what I love about this is Jesus, he prays first. He doesn't just act on his first inclination. A lot of us, we just go off our gut feelings. We're like, oh, I have an idea. Let's just go do that. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus, if that's all he did, his first disciples would be the first people he met. He would be calling Pharisees and demons and lepers and paralytics and Peter's mom. That's who we would have the disciples if that's who Jesus picked based upon his first interactions with others. That's not what he does, though. He takes time and he prays and he hand selects 12. This is a really big decision he has to make. Jesus only has one shot. He ain't coming back a second time to die. He, he, there's no backup plan. There is no plan B. There is no other option. He's got to make it count. It's a really big decision. And he starts any decision with this. He starts with prayer. A lot of you have really big decisions you're going to have to make this year. So you're going to need to learn how to pray first. Some of you, the decisions you have are in regards to your marriage. Are you going to get married? Are you going to propose? Okay, have you prayed about that? Some of you, your marriage is hanging on by a thread, and maybe even this week you've talked about divorce. Okay, have you prayed through that? Many of you, you're going to go off to college or maybe go for a master's degree or maybe change your major for the fourth time. Have you prayed about that? You need to pray about that. Maybe it's taking a new job. Maybe it's you know, saving up some money. Maybe it's having children. Maybe it's moving somewhere else. Have you prayed about that? Oftentimes, what we do is this, is we just go off our first decision instead of just allowing God's wisdom to come through us through prayer. 
And so Jesus says, I gotta pray first. Is this really God's will for, for me to choose these men? Do you pray before the decisions that you make? Okay, here's what we learn from a disciple, is that prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. For me, oftentimes, prayer is the last resort. In case of emergency, break glass, pray. Right, how many of you, that's you, right? How many of you pray this, help? Hey, how many of you say, Lord, help, please help, God, help? Right, how many of you prayed that prayer this morning? God, help. Okay, that's a great prayer. God loves it when you pray that prayer. But did you know that he can help you before you make the decision and not after you make the decision? See, a lot of times we pray as a last resort, God, help, oh my God, God, get me out of this. And God's like, I can do that, but I would really love to help you before you make these decisions. You're gonna have to make a lot of really big decisions, and so you need to learn how to pray. Pray first. So here's what we're gonna do as a church. This year, we're gonna really focus on prayer, but starting in February, on February 3rd, we're gonna kick off 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. It's on a Monday night, and we're gonna all meet here at the church for a night of prayer and intercession and spend the next 21 days leading into our four-year anniversary praying for our church. Because as a church, we have really big decisions we need to make. The decisions we make this year could alter and impact the trajectory of our church for the next 30 years. So please be praying for your leadership, be praying for me and the decisions that we make, but as a church, it's important for us to learn to pray first. And so starting in February, just want you to prepare your hearts, prepare your stomach. We're gonna ask you to pray and to fast in the month of February because as a church, we wanna be able to pray first. Lesson number two is follow the leader. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but you're not the leader. Did you know that? Who's the leader? Jesus. How many of you, when you were kids, you played the game Follow the Leader? You remember that game? It was so easy when we were kids. How come it's so difficult when we're adults? Christianity is nothing more than a lifelong game of follow the leader. That's all that it is. Jesus is the leader. We are the followers. Are you following Jesus? Here's what it says here. And he goes up to the mountain. Who called? Jesus called. And what did they do? They came. It's really not complicated. Jesus calls, we follow. That's all that it is. But how many of you discovered that Jesus is really bad at following? Anybody notice that? That Jesus doesn't take instructions very well. You're like, Jesus, I told you to do all the things that I wanted you to do. And Jesus is like, that's funny, because I told you to do some things too. <laughs> You're like, God, why aren't you doing the things I want you to do? And God's up in heaven on his throne. Hmm, that's funny, because I wrote a book with some things for you to do, and you're still not doing those either. Has anyone noticed that Jesus is really bad at following? That's because it's not his job. He's the leader. You're the follower. Jesus calls you. Jesus chose you. Jesus saves you. Hey, you follow him. Jesus is the leader. And, and here's what I believe. A lot of the pain, problems, sufferings, and difficulties that we experience in our life is because we just don't follow him that life would go a lot easier, a lot better, and things would go in a different direction if we learned to follow him first. And sin is not following Jesus. So when there's areas in life where it's falling apart and it's difficult and, and there's a lot of headstrong resistance, it could be because you're just not really following him in that. See, the truth is Jesus is always calling, but the problem is, is we're not always following. So here, here's what I wanna do. I wanted to do Mark 3 because in the next several weeks, we're gonna get in some really heavy topics. I just wanna put an airbag on that and let you know. But discipleship is important because how you answer this question, are you following Jesus, determines how you're gonna answer the question over the next six weeks. 
So next week, guess what? We're going to preach over divorce and remarriage. Those are straight from Jesus's mouth. And some of you, it's going to be hard for you to hear some of the things that Jesus teaches because it goes against what you like and what you want. But the question is, are you a follower of Jesus? We're going to teach over children. Okay. Question is, are you following Jesus when it comes to your home? Money, taxes, death, suffering, healing. Okay. Are you following Jesus? How many of you are looking forward to the taxes sermon, right? You looking for that one? Okay, are you following Jesus? Because I believe that Jesus offers the best way of life. And so for many of us, what we need to understand is if I follow Jesus, I'm going to experience the best life he has for me. It comes from following him. And a lot of the problems and the pain and the difficulties we experience is because we get outside of God's will and we're unwilling to follow him. Jesus is a leader. He has good for you. He has good plans for you. He loves you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. But you got to be with him. So Jesus is always calling. The question is, are we, are we following? Rule number two, just follow the leader. Rule number three, live in community. What I find so amazing is that Jesus is God. Right, second member of the Trinity, eternity past, surrounded by angels, bowing down, worshiping him in heaven, entering into this world on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost, to live the perfect life, no fault, no flaw, no failure in him. He defeats death. He resurrects from the grave, ascends to the right hand of the Father, where he sits on the throne, ruling and reign, Lord, Lord, King, King, forever. It's Jesus. And you know what the first thing Jesus did when he came to earth was? Pick 12 men to start a community group. You ever think about that? Like Jesus was in a community group. Jesus lived in community. He was in a small group. Right? That's what Jesus did because he knew the importance of community. Now, question. If Jesus knew the importance of community and it was important for him, how much more important should it be for you? Right? I mean, you're not God, but the first thing Jesus, God did was get in a community group because we were not created to go through life alone. Okay, Adam and Eve, God said, it's not good for you to be alone. Don't be alone. But many of us, we have an understanding of Christianity that is outside of biblical Christianity because we think we can have DIY discipleship. That we think we can do it all on our own. I don't really need a church. I don't really need friends. I don't really need a group. I have this podcast and this ESV journal Bible, and I am really self-disciplined, and I can do it all by myself, and nobody can tell me what to do. That's not true. That's nowhere in the Bible. It's unbiblical. 21st century Christianity that's all about the self, it's all about consumerism, it's all about the individual or autonomy is outside the Bible because even Jesus himself lived in community. If you want to grow in your faith, you need to get in community, seriously. The best thing that you will ever do is to grow in community. Think about the disciples. What did they learn in that group? I mean, they're spending time with Jesus, learning to read their Bible, learn to use their gifts. They're spending time uh, serving other people, practicing the one another's that scripture teaches us. They're growing. They're being raised up. They're being trained. They're being sent out. They're becoming disciples. And that all happens in the context of community. Hands down, the best thing you will ever do for in your life is to get in community, to live in community. There is no such thing as DIY disciples. You cannot, will not do it on your own. The 12 disciples couldn't do it on their own, so what makes you think you could do it on yours? Amen. See, the truth is, you got to live in community. So here's what we're going to do. In your chair, there is a Connect card, and on that Connect card, there is a box that says Community Groups, and we have sign-ups at the Green Couch today for new classes that are starting this week on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. 
And these classes are gonna help launch you into discipleship for 2020 over areas such as inner healing, financial peace, and church membership with me on Thursdays, discipleship. Right now, we have about 50 people in our church who have signed up. That's about 25% of our church who has signed up for these classes, okay? That goes to show me there are 75% of our church who has not yet learned the importance of living in community. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to challenge you, motivate you, put a little pressure on you. Sign up for a class starting this week. Childcare is available for all the classes, 6.30, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Take the Connect card, fill it out, and we'd love to chat with you in the lobby. Next lesson is this. Y'all ready? Next lesson is dream big, start small. Okay, this one's actually my favorite, and oftentimes it goes unnoticed, and sometimes it's those small verses that get me the most, and here's what it says. I love this. Verse 14, and he appointed the 12. Those are the disciples. Then he goes on, in parentheses, whom he also called, called what? Apostles. Did you catch that? Before they were apostles, they started off as what? Disciples. See, we know them today as the apostles, Right, we think, oh, look at the apostles and all the wonderful things they did. Have you read the book of Acts? Have you read the epistles? I mean, they just walked past people and their shadow healed them. Like, they're the apostles. You know where they started at? It's disciples. Before they were apostles, they started as disciples. Dream big, start small. See, we all start here. We all start with discipleship. Right, before there was a church, there were disciples. Before there were missionaries, there were what? Disciples. It starts with discipleship. Before there was conferences, before there were worship leaders in skinny jeans, there was what? <laughs> there were disciples. Before they were apostles, they started off as disciples. Dream big, start small. Right? I'm not telling you not to dream big. God wants you to dream big. I believe that God is honored by big dreams. He wants you to dream big, but you got to start small. You got to string together a little, little things, and eventually you're going to accomplish great things. So this year, some of you, you have these dreams. Praise God. I love your dreams. You're like, this year, I'm going to pay off debt. Wow. Incredible. How about you not eat Chick-fil-A three times a week? Start small. You're like, this year, I'm going to get married. How about you ask her on a date first? Start small. You're like, this is the year that I'm going to be a leader. Learn to lead yourself first. Start small. And if you do a, little, a lot of little things, eventually it'll add up to great dreams. This is what Jesus says elsewhere. He says, the one who is faithful with a little will be faithful with? Yeah. You've got to dream big, but you've got to start small. Now, eventually, they became apostles. In Acts, they're apostles. Right? In the epistles, they're apostles. But in the gospels, they're disciples. This is why it's so important for us to learn discipleship, because it all flows from discipleship. Before they were apostles, they started off as disciples. Now, dream big, start small. So I have big dreams, right? My dream was to plant Redemption Church. My dream was to see a gospel center movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child would experience life change through Jesus. You know how long it took for us to plant this church? Over eight years before we even started. And I spent those first five years helping other people accomplish their dreams. That me and Ashley planted two churches in Houston and New York. And the first, the first several years was us just learning how to serve, to stack chairs, to clean toilets, to unload trailers, to pass out bulletins. That was our job for five years. You know how much we got paid for that? Zero. But we were learning to see our dreams come to fruition by serving and helping other people's dreams as well. 
The first 10 chapters of the Gospel of Mark, disciples don't really do anything. If you notice it, like they don't really do anything. Yeah, they cut the hole in the ceiling. So Peter and James, they were probably the ones cleaning up the mess that they made. That was them passing out the bulletins in the synagogues. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, they're the ones passing out the fishes and loaves. And then he feeds the 5,000 again, and they have to do it all over again. And then one of them forgets the bread, and they got to turn around and go get the bread. I mean, that's all they do, right, is they're just learning to serve. There's a crazy story that we're going to hit in Mark chapter 12 in just a few weeks where Jesus is like, hey, boys, um, could you go get me a donkey? And they're like, that's it? Yeah, just go to Jerusalem. There's going to be a donkey tied up. And if anybody asks you who it's for, just tell them the Lord needs it. Like Jesus asked these dudes to steal a donkey. <laughs> and they're like, sure. Like, that was their discipleship, small. Start small. Dream big. All right, so whenever me and Ashley moved back here from New York to plant Redemption Church, we had this big dream of this church, but guess what? There was only two of us. Start small. And Ashley's short, so we started real small. <laughs> but that dream began to grow. As Bo Michael King opened his home for our first community group, our church started as a small group. And people believed and dreamed that God was going to do amazing things. And our grand opening Sunday in 2016, we had 171 people in attendance. And we were fired up and we were excited. And then over the course of the year, we grew our church from 171 to 60. Dream big, start small. But God was faithful. And we just kept growing. And we kept praying. And we kept believing. And last year, we baptized over 85 people, gave 20,000 away to missions. We moved to three services. <laughs> Dream big. But you got to start small. But I don't even believe that we've even scratched the surface of what God wants to do in our church, because we're still a young church. We're, not even, we're still three years old as a church. I believe that God wants more for us. I believe that we need to dream big, and we need to dream and dream again. And I believe that we're going to continue to grow. I have big dreams. My dream is that we outgrow this building so fast, someone's got to give us First Baptist. That's my dream, because we're going to need somewhere to put all these people at, that your next door neighbor, your coworker, your husband, your wife, that they're going to come meet Jesus. Jesus, get baptized, and then we're going to have to move over there because God's going to do some amazing things. I got big dreams. My dream is that you cannot pull up to a red light or a stop sign in Beaumont without having an R bumper sticker on the car next to you. That is my dream. My dream is that every single one of you will get the honor and the privilege to personally lead one person to Jesus and have them baptized in this water and them sit next to you. That is my dream for you. I have big dreams. My dream is that we wouldn't only plant Redemption Church, but that we would plant 10 churches. I call it my 10 on I-10 dream. Yeah. That I want to have 10 Redemption Churches from New Orleans to San Antonio and everywhere in between. Not that we would just see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city, but we'd have a gospel-centered movement in the heart of our nation. That's my prayer. That's my dream. But here's the deal. We will not plant 10 churches until we finish planting this one. Yes. If you want to dream big, you got to start small. Right. How are we going to buy, provide, renovate, and take care of First Baptist if we can't even give and take care of this one? Dream big, start small. How are you going to... Baptize your neighbor if you don't even talk to them. Dream big, start small. Maybe your next step is giving. Maybe your next step is inviting that person from work or from the gym. 
Maybe that's what God has for you. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it's just you starting small. Dream big, start small. What is it that God would have for you to do starting today? Start small. Because before they were apostles, what were they? Disciples, everything flows out of discipleship. Which leads us to the next lesson right here, is relationship comes before responsibilities. Okay, this one's gonna sting a little bit. So I just want you to get ready. How many of you are my type A people? You're the movers, you're the goers, you're the doers, you're a three on the Enneagram, you're the eight, you're the challenger, you got a D on the disc. How many of you are, are, my, are the ones who just love to do? I say, come and see, you're like, no. I don't want to come and see. I want to go do something. How many of you, that's you? That's you? Okay, this is you. Relationship comes before responsibilities. Why did Jesus call the disciples? Here's what it says. It says that they might, what? Be with him. It's relationship. And then it says, then he might send them out to preach, and he gave them authority to cast out demons. Okay, the order is important. He called them that they might be with him. What's that? That's relationship. And then he's going to send them out to preach sermons and cast demons. That's responsibilities. Right, for me, I get it backwards. I love responsibilities. Give me responsibilities. Right, give me something to do. Right, because I sinfully believe that the more I do, the more I am loved. And I do this even to my own family. Look at all the things that I do for you. Don't you love me? But you know what Ashley really wants is for me to be with her. Like, it blows my mind, because sometimes Ashley's like, yeah, yeah, you're doing all these things, that's great, but I need you to just sit on the couch and just watch this movie with me. Can you do that? I'm like, no. <laughs> There's books to read and blogs to write and people to meet. <laughs> but here's what I got to remember. Even in my own marriage, it's relationship matters most relationship comes before responsibilities. Now, does he say, don't go do anything? No, that's not what he's saying. He's just saying, be with me first. Yeah. That's all he's saying. He's like, be with me first. Okay, go do some things. Some of you, you don't do anything, right? That's called lazy. <laughs> Others of you, you try to do everything. That's why you're crazy. <laughs> there needs to be a balance of both, of being with him and then going and do some things for him. But relationship comes before responsibilities. One of the reasons we're tired, stressed, freaking out all the time is because, well, we don't actually make time to spend time with him. And we're always trying to do everything for other people, but we actually don't have time that we work on the relationship. How's your relationship with God? You're like, but I do all these things. Okay, that's great. You can preach sermons, cast out demons. Praise the Lord for you. But are you with him? See, I'll tell you a story. A couple of years ago, as we were planting the church, everything was doing well. It's up and to the left, rocking and rolling. And me and Ashley were getting ready to go on vacation. And I didn't give myself hardly any vacation time. I think I preached like 48 sermons the first year that I was the pastor here, which is ridiculous, by the way. Um, and we're getting ready for our vacation. And the night before the vacation, all of a sudden, as I'm laying in bed, Ashley's asleep. All of a sudden, <clears throat> my chest tightens. I get this pain in my arm. I can't breathe. And I'm laying there in panic and fear come over me. And I think, this is it. I'm having a heart attack. I'm fixing to die. I look over Ashley. She's just out. <laughs> and I didn't want to wake her up because what am I going to say? Babe, I'm dead. Like, I didn't want to scare her. So I just didn't wake her up. And I just laid there all night in bed thinking, any moment now, I'm going I'm to die. Ashley's going to be a widow. Esther's never going to know her daddy. This is fear, it's just panic over me. And then 
I woke up, after Ashley woke up, realized it was just a panic attack. I've never had a panic attack before. But I was under so much stress and duress and so much anxiety from trying to do God's job for the church, handling my responsibilities, that I ignored my relationship with him. And over that course of the year, every sermon I preached, I'll just be honest with you, I wasn't really spending time in God's word because it had just become a job for me. It had just become a responsibility. So we'd lead in the church and there wouldn't be prayer. It would just be all responsibility. And eventually I'd become so empty, I had nothing left to give. And then eventually, because I thought that I was doing God's job, eventually it nearly almost felt like it was killing me. So I went on vacation and I didn't get any relaxation. Right, the whole time, every time I would lay down or sit on the beach, right, <clears throat> panic attack. And that's when I decided when we moved back home or when we came back home from vacation, things in my life were gonna have to change. That my number one responsibility was my relationship with God. And that's when I determined that this is kind of how we're gonna start leading into our church is relationship comes before responsibilities. Now we're gonna ask you and we're gonna push you and motivate you to do some things. And one of the most important things you will ever do is to develop spiritual disciplines to spend time with God in relationship. Relationship comes before responsibilities. So the next lesson is this, keep showing up. Okay, this one is important. Keep showing up. We have it on the door on your way out. Keep showing up. What's interesting is you read through the Gospel of Mark, whenever the disciples are mentioned, first three disciples we always meet is Peter, James, and John. They were the first disciples that were called. They get behind the scenes special access to Jesus. When Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead, guess who's in the room? Peter, James, and John. In Mark chapter nine, whenever there's the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah come down from heaven. Guess who's there with them? Peter, James, and John. Over and over again, every page, every story of the gospels, you open it up and guess who you're gonna see? Peter, James, and John. Because they just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. Now, do you think there were days that they didn't want to show up? Probably. Do you think there were days that they would rather go have brunch at Jay Wilson's? Probably. Do you think there were days they wanted to hit the alarm clock five times? Probably. There were days that they didn't want to keep showing up, but you know what they did? They just continued to show up. And when they showed up, God did amazing things. They saw miracles. They saw healings. They, they heard teachings. They understood the parables. They loved others. They saw Jesus do things that only Jesus can do. You know why they saw those things? Because they were there because they would just keep showing up. You want to see God do amazing things? You got to show up. You want to see God do breakthrough in your life? You got to show up. You want to see God heal? You want to see God save? You want to see God deliver and break those addictions? You want to grow in your faith? You want to see God do incredible things that they write books about? You want to see those things? You know how you see those things? You got to be present. You got to keep showing up. And when you show up, you see God do incredible things, but you got to keep showing up. Three words that will change your life. Keep showing up. Learn that lesson from Peter, James, and John. Just keep showing up. But I don't feel like it. Keep showing up. I don't want to. Keep showing up. I don't think I can do it. Just keep showing up. And you know what I've discovered? Every time I show up, God loves to show off. And whenever I don't feel like it the most, that's when I need it the most. So the lesson we can learn from Peter, James, and John is this. Keep showing up. The next lesson is embrace the awkwardness. Right? How many of you at Redemption Church, you're like, embrace the awkwardness? 
Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, it's because you're the awkward person. <laughs> and we embrace you. Embrace the awkwardness. Some of y'all are awkward, and we love you. Embrace the awkwardness. Right? And here's what's so interesting is Jesus chose 12 disciples. And these guys have absolutely nothing in common with one another. Like, they are really different. So you got Peter, James, and John, and then you got Matthew, the tax collector. Right? The others, they're disciples. So their hands are covered in fish guts and calluses. And then you got Matthew, the tax collector, who has like a T89 calculator and Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> and then like you bring them together and that's disciples, right? I mean, these guys have nothing in common. It's awkward. I mean, you have rich, poor, young, old. You have some who are married, some who are not married. You have city boys and rural country backwoods, Deweyville hicks, like, and bring them all together. <laughs> Do we have anybody from Deweyville? <laughs> You're a disciple. <laughs> and then he brings them together, and he's like, this is discipleship. I mean, just think about it. You got one guy, his name's Simon the Zealot. Okay, do you guys know what zealots are? Zealots are like the left-wing, anarchist, emo, punk kid with the tumbler. Right, that's a zealot, right? And they're wearing like system of down shirts and smoking cloves, and they're like, it's not a phase, mom. <laughs> down with the man. Like, that's, that's the zealots. And they had taken a... <laughs> he used to be a zealot. <laughs> Turns out it was a phase. So <laughs> they took a blood oath to kill tax collectors. And then Matthew's a tax collector. Awkward. I think Jesus knew what he was doing, though, right? I mean, that first community group, like, they signed up, and they're like, hey, community group, nice. And they're like, hey, my name's Simon the Zealot. They're like, oh, my name's Matthew, the former tax collector. <laughs> they're awkward. But here's the deal, is that if all you do is hang out with people who look just like you, you will never learn to look like Jesus. Good. See, different is good. But our differences shouldn't define us because our identity comes from him. Those disciples didn't have anything in common but Jesus. And that's all that they needed because their differences did not define them because their identity came from Jesus. Oftentimes, just look around in your life and let's just really ask, how diverse is your friend group? Let's just be honest. Normally, we hang out with people who act like us, vote like us, think like us, are the same race or skin color as us. They look just like us. And the problem with that is the church should not look like that. The goal is not that you look like you. The goal is that you look like Jesus. And if all you do is hang out with people who look just like you, then you're never going to learn to look like him. See, differences are good. We should celebrate differences. Differences lead to diversity. Diversity is a good thing. But the problem is, is when our differences separate us instead of unite us. That the church should be a place that our identity comes from Jesus and we celebrate our differences. Like, I pray that redemption is awkward. Like I just do. Like, I pray that our church would be this funky, weird, eclectic, awkward place where people are like, what's going on in that church? Those people are weird, awkward, right? That's my prayer. Why do you go to redemption? You have nothing in common with those people. And then you would say, oh yeah, I do. His name is Jesus. He, that's what we have in common. We have Jesus in common. And they're from different backgrounds, and they're from different beliefs, and they might be from Deweyville, but we got Jesus in common. 
and that's all that we need. My prayer is that Redemption Church would be so awkward, right? That we have rich, poor, young, old, black, white, Latino, Asian, that we would have Democrats, Republicans, we would have Mac, PC, we would have skinny jeans and cargo shorts for the glory of God and for the awkwardness of the city, amen? That's my dream. Which leads to number eight, lesson eight, find your place. Okay, Peter, he's always mentioned first because he's the leader of the disciples. Peter is mentioned 189 times. John, he's not the leader. John is Jesus' nearest, dearest best friend. John is mentioned 50 times. Hey, Philip's mentioned 17 times, Andrew 13 times, Thomas 11 times, Matthew 9 times, James 7, 9 Simon the Zealot, four times, Thaddeus and Bartholomew, one time, and Judas Iscariot, 22 times. Somewhere between Peter and Judas, that's your place. Just so you know, Judas is not the place you want to be. (laughs) But Peter's the leader. He gets mentioned the most. He preaches Pentecost. James, he's Jesus' best friend. So at the end of Jesus' life, as he's hanging on a cross, Jesus looks down and says to James, hey, take care of my mom. He didn't ask Peter to take care of his mom. He asked James, or he asked John to take care of his mom. Why? Because that was John's place, right? Pentecost was Peter's place. Taking care of Mary was John's place. Now, do you think Andrew got upset that he didn't get to preach Pentecost? No, because that wasn't his place. Do you think Thaddeus got upset that he didn't get to take care of Mary? No, because that wasn't his place. Do you think Bartholomew is bummed out because he didn't get to write a book of the Bible? No, that wasn't his place. But do you think that he was bummed out? No, because his name was still in the list. He still made it, right? He's still meant, he, he's, he's, he's in there. He just found his place. Some of you, you're gonna be like Peter. That's gonna be your place. You're gonna become, you're gonna become an elder in the church. You're, you're gonna become a deacon. Maybe you write a book. Maybe you get on a stage and somebody gives you a microphone. You might be like Peter. Praise the Lord for you. Some of you, you're gonna be like Andrew. You're just gonna serve behind the scenes. And you know what? That's good too. You just need to find your place. What is the place that God has called you? Every single one of you, you have a place in this church. That God brought you here for a reason. You have a purpose. There is a destiny over your life. You have a place. So where's your place? So I don't know what my place is. It's a lot of anxiety and new Christians are like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I love what Augustine, the early church father says. He says this, love God and do whatever you please. It's so simple, right? What do you like to do? Do you like serving? Do you like coffee? Cafe. Do you like working with kids? Kids. Do you like inviting people, making new friends? I'll have a community group. Right? Do you like the homeless? Okay, do outreach. Whatever it is, just do what you please. If you love God first, then everything else is available to you. Just find your place. Not everyone's going to be Peter. Not everyone's going to be Bartholomew. But lesson number nine is, Some people will be Judas. Number nine is this. There's always a Judas. It says, and he betrayed him. If you're going to follow Jesus, you just need to know this, that not everybody has your best interest in mind. That not everybody who claims to be a disciple actually is. Not everyone who says they are with you is actually with you. Sometimes they're plotting against you. It's inevitable Every single one of us, we will get a Judas as a disciple. Somebody is going to hurt you. Somebody will fail you. Somebody will disappoint you. Somebody will let you down. 
you will experience this. It's one of the hardest parts of my job as a pastor is to get a front row seat to have people walk away from Jesus, turn their back on the church, and take shots on the way out the door. It hurts. I mean, people we've invested in, raised up, trained, had family dinners with me and my wife, babysat for our kids in my own community group, got to see them get baptized, gone. It hurts. And every single one of us will have this over the course of our life as a disciple. Do you think the disciples were a little confused about Judas? Wait, he was with us. He, we prayed together. We had meals together. We sat around the fire together. And then he goes and he does this. Do you think he kept them awake at night a little bit? Oh, yeah. How could it happen? He was hand-selected. He was chosen just as much as the rest of the disciples were. And then he goes and he betrays Jesus. Every single one of us will have a Judas at some point in our life. And when that happens, you have to make a conscious decision. Are you going to get bitter or will you get better? See, for a lot of us, when we experience church hurt, we give up on the church. We get, we say, I don't want to go back. I don't want anything to happen. Oh, somebody was mean to me. They were rude to me. Oh, I didn't get along with them or this happened. I'm not serving. I'm not giving. Nope, I'm not going to participate. I'm not going back to church ever again because somebody looked at me wrong or maybe there was some hurt or maybe there's some form of politics that happened in the church and it could have been hard. It could have been nasty. I don't know what your story is, but I know that unlike the disciples, right, you had a Judas, and you had a choice to get bitter or to get better. What would happen if the disciples were bitter? I'm never following Jesus again. Well, then none of us would be here. What do you think would happen if they would have gotten bitter? Well, the church never would have got planted. Christianity would have grown. You and I, we would still be pagans if they chose bitterness. But they chose to get better. Judas, he went and found a rope and hung himself. The disciples, in Acts chapter 1, they picked a man named Matthias. And Matthias joined the team. And Matthias, he got on mission with them. And the church continued to grow. And what started with 12, went down to 11, back to 12, and now it's 3.5 billion. Do you see what happens when you choose to get better instead of getting bitter? God does amazing things. Some of you, you have hurt. You have a choice. You can either allow that hurt to become hate, or you can allow God to heal. What are you going to do? Choice is yours. But there will always be a Judas. Number 10, it's not about you. How many of you love this point? It's not about you. <laughs> Quick, name all 12 of the disciples. Can you do it? Can you do it? Didn't think so. You're like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Stephen, Samantha, <laughs> Ethan, uh, Tyler, right? No, that's not it. So you can't name all 12. Some of the famous ones you know, like Peter, James, John, like we know those guys, right? Thomas, the doubter, like the one bad day of Thomas' life. That's all he's known for. <laughs> Can anybody tell me about Thaddeus? No, right? You can't. Like Thaddeus only mentioned one time in the whole book. And actually the time that he is mentioned, it says Thaddeus, also known as Judas. Like his name was originally Judas. He changed it to Thaddeus. Like that's how bad Judas is. Like you're like, I can't go by that anymore. So call me Thaddeus, right? <laughs> like, hey, I've met you before. You're Judas. No, I'm Thaddeus, right? He changes his name. Like that's all we know is his name was originally Judas and he changed it to Thaddeus. Like you could tweet his whole life story. Like tell me a little bit more about Thaddeus. Okay, let's do a deep Bible study. My name's not Judas, the end. Like that's it. 
And you know what? Thaddeus is cool with that because he learned it's not about him anyway. Because it's not about his fame or his name or his recognition. It was about people coming to know Jesus. Thaddeus, he made the list. He's in the group. He's one of the disciples. And he goes on and he does everything. But you know what? Thaddeus was just as important to Jesus as Peter was. That Thaddeus got called. Thaddeus was chosen. Thaddeus was elected. Thaddeus was raised up trained. Thaddeus was discipled the same way that Peter was. And Thaddeus didn't get blue because he didn't get to ask to preach Pentecost. That's not what happened to Thaddeus. Thaddeus was just happy to be able to point people to Jesus. And discipleship realizes that it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. When we get to heaven, guess what? Thaddeus, he's going to be there because he was faithful. Discipleship is not about becoming famous. Discipleship is about becoming faithful. Sometimes we get it all wrong. We think it's about becoming famous. I want people to know me. I want people to follow me. Here's my Instagram. All right, get enough followers. Get a hashtag. Get a filter. Look at all these things. Like, okay, no, it's about being faithful. When you get to heaven, the most faithful people in heaven were the most, the most famous people in heaven were the most faithful people on earth. There's going to be people in heaven that you're going to be like, Wow, I never even heard of you. Like you, you led small groups and you raised up children. You served in the nursery for 25 years and never missed a Sunday. Famous in heaven. Never even heard of their name. Thaddeus, famous in heaven. You don't even know who he is. He made the list though. He's famous in Jesus' eyes. And those are the only eyes that matter. The most famous people in heaven, the most faithful people here on earth. Our church, we need a lot of men and women like Thaddeus. We need a lot of men and women like Bartholomew or like Andrew. We need a lot of men and women who are behind the scenes, who don't need the fame, and they know it's not about them. It's all about Jesus, and they don't care if people come to see them because they want people to come and know who Jesus is. We need a lot of men like Thaddeus. We need a lot of women like Patty Smith and Emily Lopez and Chris Ingram and Cruz Torres and Colleen Loza. We need men like Hunter Zeal and Kayla Smith and Emma Forsyth and Dustin Selman and Jim King, people that are not on stage, but they love Jesus and they're willing to lay it all down because it's not about them. It's about Jesus and that's what discipleship is. It's not about you. Which leads us to the last point. If you want to be a disciple, here's what we can learn. We can learn how to leave a legacy. This is our history, this is our heritage, this is our lineage, but this is our legacy. Where does Christianity come from? 12 men on the side of a mountain, but it didn't stay there, it became a movement. And the Bible tells us about these men's lives, but it doesn't tell us about their death. So we need to know, well, what happened after this? In order for us to understand that, and the legacy that became known as Christianity and the church, we gotta go to church history and it's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It was written in the 1500s by a Puritan named Matthew Fox, and it chronicles the death and the persecution and the martyrdom of the very first Christians. And in it, he actually has a whole section over the very first disciples. We gotta see not only how they lived, but we also need to know how did they die? What is the legacy that they leave behind? Because remember, the call is from come and see to go and die. And so there's a lesson we can learn about our here history, our heritage, and our legacy from the disciples. So here's what I want to do. I believe that every new Christian should get two books. 
You should get Desiring God by John Piper, and you should get Fox's Book of Martyrs. That will really set you up to know what to expect when becoming a Christian, to move from come and see to go and die. And so I want to just show you the life and the death and the legacy of these disciples. This is where Christianity begins. And I believe that our way forward is to understand where we come from, the way backwards. This is the word discipleship. So here's what happens. The first one we meet is named Peter. Peter is the leader of the disciples. He goes on and writes two books of the Bible, first and second Peter, and he disciples a young man named Mark, who goes on and writes another book. Can you all guess what book Mark wrote? Mark. Mark. Mark is actually Peter's account of the life of Jesus. And so what happens is the church begins to grow. Peter's the bishop of Rome. And then persecution under Nero becomes so great that they go to kill Peter. And he runs away. And on the outskirts of town, as he is running and fleeing from persecution, he has an open vision of Jesus coming towards him. And he says, Jesus, why have you come? And Jesus says, I have come to be crucified again. Upon understanding this, Peter realizes what he must do. He walks right back up to the Roman officials and says, here I am. If you're going to kill me, kill me. But I just have one request. I am not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord Jesus. And so would you crucify me upside down? And in AD 62, Peter was crucified on a cross upside down. The next one we meet is James. James was actually the first of the disciples to be martyred. He was an early missionary in the early church. And Rome was under such great persecution to the early church and that even the Jewish people who wanted to stomp out the movement of Christianity, they worked together and they arrested James. James had a Judas. There was actually a man in their underground church that betrayed James and handed him over to Rome. And so James gets arrested and they put his head on the chopping block to go and chop his head off. And as James is sitting there with his head on the block, he makes eye contact with his accuser. And this is what he says, I forgive you. The man's so moved by the spirit. The man confessed his sins and then they arrested him, put him on the block as well. James and his accuser actually became brothers. And the last words, according to church history, as they were holding hands before the guillotine dropped, James looked at him and called him his brother. And both men died on the same day. John is the only one to not die a martyr's death. John, he was Jesus' best friend, the beloved John. They arrest him. They go to kill him. He's the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He's actually one of Paul's pastors. And then they boil him alive in oil. But he still doesn't die. So as an old, scarred, boiled alive man, they exile him to a prison island known as Patmos. And he writes five books of the Bible. Like, you can't keep him down, right? <laughs> he writes the book of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he writes the book of Revelation. And he's the only disciple who did not die a martyr's death. He lived to the ripe old age of 100. For those of you who are old men, we need you in our church. We need Johns in our church. We need old men who do not retire from discipleship. For you old men, you gray hairs, we need you in our church. You're the Johns. There's a lot of young men in this church that didn't have a dad. That's you. We need Johns in our church. Men who are unwilling to retire from discipleship, but are going to live their last days glorifying God. Next we see is Simon. Simon, he was crucified in Egypt. Bartholomew, right? Beaten, crucified, and beheaded. Right? Bartholomew is a bad dude. <laughs> Beat him, crucify him, and chop his head off. He's like Terminator for Jesus. You can't keep him down. 
We have Matthew, who has run through with the spear. Thomas, who was impaled in India. Philip was stoned and beheaded with his daughter. And then there was Andrew. Andrew was accused by Nero of turning the world upside down. Right? How would you like that to go on your tombstone? Here lies Byron. He turned the world upside down. <laughs> Let that be the answer for all of us when it comes to our discipleship that we would be people who would turn the world upside down. And so they arrested him, and they go, and they begin to crucify him. And they say, do you have any last words? And I love this. Listen to what Andrew says. This is the last words from Andrew. He says, I would not have preached the glory of the cross if I feared death on a cross. Come and see, go and die. We talk about the cross. But do we fear a life lived in the shadow of the cross? This is discipleship 101. This is basic Christianity. He says, I would not have preached the, the glory of the cross if I feared the death on a cross. And then his final words, he says, O cross, my lover and my friend, how I have longed to embrace you because I am the lover of, I am the student of the one who did hang upon you. That's, that's Andrew. I love the cross, and I'm not afraid to die on a cross because I am the student of, I am the lover of the one who hung upon you. These are not men who stopped and come and see. These are men who live their lives. Go and die. These are men who said, I am going to give my life to something bigger. I am going to give my life to something greater. I'm going to live for a reason, and I will leave a legacy. This is our history. This is our heritage. This is where we come from. This is how it all got started, and this is the legacy for the church to move from come and see to go and die. Yes. If they stopped and come and see, we would not be here. If all they did was stay on the mountain, we would not be here. If the early church settled for casual consumer Christianity, you and me would not be here. My fear is that we have made Christianity too easy and we've made discipleship too difficult and you have settled for less than what God actually has for you. It's time for you to move from come and see to go and die. There are people out there waiting for you. There is movements out there waiting for you. There is children with your last name who are depending on you to move from come and see to go and die, to live live for something bigger than yourselves, to live for something greater than yourselves. And when you do die, there is a legacy in your wake. Yeah. Yeah. This is basic normal Christianity. It's the way that it's been. It's the way it's always been. Come and see, go and die. These are the 11 lessons we learn from the disciples. And God does not expect anything less out of us today than he expected out of them 2,000 years ago. How did we get here? Because of the last 2,000 years, men and women have given everything to follow Jesus. And the world has never been the same since. So redemption, here's where we're going in 2020. We're going to discipleship. Some of you, during your come and see season, we love you, thank you. No, we will not kill you. <laughs> but very soon, we will begin asking you to do stuff. Hang out, make a friend, grab some coffee, praise the Lord. 
but eventually we will begin to ask you to serve, to go to a class, to get in a group, to take this important and seriously. Others of you, your come and see season is over. And so this year, we're going to be really motivating you, challenging you, and we're going to make it really uncomfortable for you to come and see. I just want you to know where we're heading because Mark's moving to chapter 16. The rest of Mark is Jesus going to die. That's all Mark is for the rest of this year. We're not doing any little mini sermon series this year. All we're doing is Mark, 35 weeks of Jesus dying. I need you to get ready for that because that's what discipleship is. The move from come and see to go and die. So what is your first step in discipleship? Some of you, it's just filling out that connect card and going to a class starting this week. Some of you, it's beginning to tithe and to give 10% first and best, giving something to the Lord. That's your, that's your step. For some of you, your step is to open up your home for a community group, to invite your neighbor to dust off your Bible and start reading it. Whatever it is, you need to make the move from come and see to go and die. Others of you, you have been dying here at Redemption Church for three years. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm dying right there alongside of you, but I believe that God is going to do something amazing through your sacrifice. Come and see. Go and die. This is a call to discipleship. These are the lessons we learn from the 12 disciples. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.